Hello there. Welcome to Gooner U. My name is not Dove. Uh, this is Keith here. Dove is with me, but he, we decided to trade off the intro for reasons that will become clear shortly. But I am here to bring him and all of the listeners up to speed on everything that he doesn't know about soccer, Arsenal, and the World Cup. This week uh, featured the semifinals, the third place, and the final match of the 2022 World Cup. Dove, how are you, my friend? Well, <laughs> I'm doing better than my voice is, unfortunately. <laughs> but I'm in good spirits. It was a really fun weekend of World Cup action. Yes, as as you were just telling me before, you were you were not feeling well, which you know over the weekend, which just meant it was a perfect time to sit around the couch and and watch soccer. And that's what I did. It was uh, it was really nice for the final. Actually, uh, my son watched my you know, my son is only five and a half, and I expect nothing of him when it comes to attention span. But um, he watched more of the first half of the final than he's watched of any soccer match to date, and he watched quite a bit of the second half too. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he had enjoyed it too. Well, this is where we hope that his memories are formed because what 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 he and you and all of us saw may well be the greatest World Cup final ever played. Yeah, that's that's what I'm hearing, and I mean, I certainly wasn't disappointed. It was uh, it was it was a really enjoyable match. I mean, it's it's to me, it's unfortunate. I you know, I understand why penalties happen, and I, I get it. But also, this is one of those games, especially because it's the final. I I was texting back and forth with my brother, who just said, I, "Why can't they keep playing? Why do we have to stop and go to penalties? <laughs> I want more. I want yeah. more of this." So yeah, j- yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously with the drama, with with Lionel Messi winning the cup, Kylian Mbappe uh, is the second player ever to record a hat trick in a final. Uh, he's now, I think, right. he said the, I think he said the sixth player, or he's now sixth all time in World Cup scoring, and he's twenty four. He's already yeah, played in amazing. in two World Cups, won one of them, and he he could quite literally be playing again for another three, like Messi did. And and with France, he has a real shot at winning a, th- a three more. So just just incredible. Yeah. Oh, let me let me ask you. I mean, we're we're kind of going out of order a little bit, but that's okay. Whatever. But uh, it's it's World Cup. We'll we'll have fun with it. Um, l- let me just ask: How common is it for the Golden Boot winner not to be on the winning side? Um, it, it's it's not uncommon. I'd I'd have to pull up. Mm-hmm. Um the 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 list of winners there it really it's um it obviously if you win the cup that of course means your team won a bunch of games which increases the chances for for scoring goals you also play sure. a lot of games uh yeah, just play a lot of games um it, it's not that unusual um i'm just trying to i'm trying to pull up a list now uh, as we get some some past winners here, yeah, they seem to come from all over the place. I mean, I so I the one I really remember was the first World Cup I watched was was World Cup '94, where the the golden boot was shared by uh, Oleg Selenko of Russia and Christo Stoichkov of of Bulgaria, who each had six goals, and neither of them uh, made the final. Uh, the Bulgarians hmm. made Bulgarians made the semifinals, I believe, that year. Um, yeah, Davor Suker of Croatia did it ninety eight. Well, let me let me stop you for a second. When when you're talking about the two who shared it, um, 
they both had the same number of goals and the same number of assists. Yes. Uh, well, I, at okay. the very least, at the very least, they they're officially given as sharing it. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't know officially when that rule came in about the, using the assists as the tiebreaker. Actually, the crazy mm-hmm. one about that. So Solenko, I'm just looking this up now. So Solenko is the only player to win the Golden Boot on a team that was eliminated in the group stage because he scored five goals in Mm. one game and then notched another one in another game. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's, yeah. (laughs) So that seems unlikely. Um, Yeah. Actually, as I'm looking through, just looking through this list of past winners, just since I started watching in 94, only one of them has actually won the world cup. And that was Ronaldo, mm. who did it in 2002. He had eight goals and actually scored uh, two in the final to, to win it for Brazil. But, I mean, looking back, Harry mm. Kane had it four years ago. Uh, James Rodriguez, Thomas Mueller. Yeah, so none of these guys actually won the cup except Ronaldo. And I'm just rolling back a little ways. It seems like 78 yeah. is the last one before that. So, yeah, actually, it's it appears really it's quite uncommon to win the golden hmm. boot and win the and win the world cup in the same tournament so i mean yeah so course, i guess that that makes it even more meaningful how close Messi came to yeah, getting yes it. i would say and of course it would be Messi, who obviously we said greatest final ever i think has a uh, has legitimate argument at this point to uh, uh, for greatest player ever period which is an argument that mm-hmm. all sports fans love to have regardless of sport um and I, I, he's, yeah. he's uh, and there's boy, there's just there's just so much baggage when it comes to talking about that, even with Messi and Argentina and Diego Maradona and so many different directions we could go in that. But yeah, just to it, it just as from a narrative perspective, it was an incredible final. From a sporting perspective, it was an incredible final. Um, yeah, really nice capper on what I otherwise thought was a was an inter- an interesting World Cup. I think is the word to use. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, let's let's circle back for a little bit and uh, do some follow up from last episode. Then we'll go full bore into this past week's activity. So, so I had mentioned um, as of the quarterfinals that Croatia. I had to hand it to them. I, I really liked the way that they played, and I could see them going all the way. I was I was happy for them. I was excited to see what happened in the semis and uh they did not end up making it past the semifinal round, but I was I was glad that they at least uh beat Morocco and came in third place. That was something. Um one thing I wanted to follow up with about that, I was talking to a friend from work who I didn't realize was Croatian. It turns out he is. We were talking about the World Cup. His name ends in itch, like over half of the Croatians, but it's not spelled with the accented C. It's a ICH. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't as clear to me. Um, but he was telling me that apparently he basically answered a question I'd never consciously asked, but I had wondered about when, when watching Croatia play. He explained that apparently water polo is a huge sport in Croatia. It's the, their most popular sport. And when you see the fans wearing what look like shower caps or like wrestling headgear combined with shower caps that are in the white and red check 
pattern of Croatia. Those are water polo caps that they apparently wear to soccer games because whatever, that's what they have already with the country's colors on it or something. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, the World Cup is fun because you get to see so many of the ways that people, you know, dress themselves as super fans and, and you get to see sort of the the cultural identifiers many of them use. Uh, you'll see, you know, the Mexicans wearing giant sombreros. You'll see, uh, you know, people in all sorts of historical or stereotypical costumes of, of the cultures they're from. Uh, the, hmm. It's, you know, it's really kind of a fascinating look at the way countries think about themselves. You know, of course the Dutch in orange, uh, just all the those sort of fun ways. And so, yeah, I, I, they, they always manage to find a few of those, those water poloed, uh croats uh but it, you know with them and the czechs it just really checker design really adds to the just adds to that part of the atmosphere yeah so um the the next thing is you'd mentioned the qatari ref <laughs> who had a really really atrocious record as far as we were concerned from watching him uh officiate the u.s versus wales game where he handed out yellow cards like they were candy he did come back for the third place match and i i got the impression that he learned his lesson it wasn't it wasn't a yellow card fest again yeah so i mean was, it could be yeah I, and really i'd say my problem from the the wales game was the general inconsistency with how the game was officiated i i you know, of the of the four games this past week, the third place game was the one I I didn't get to see a whole lot of, so I I can't sit here mm-hmm. and say uh, that it was well officiated or poorly officiated. I, for example, there was a, a, a there were a lot of complaints about uh, it was the Argentina and the Netherlands quarterfinal, and that official was the same one who refereed uh, the U.S. England game, and I, I thought did a, did a fine job in that game. Whereas the guy again the, for the Argentina Dutch game, it was a sense of the lost control so sometimes the officials you know as we said it's a hard job to be a referee and sometimes the players don't mm. let you have a good game i guess the way to say it <laughs> um but but I, I you know obviously it could it could very well just be that that usa wales was just a bad day for him but in, 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 or maybe this yeah. was a good one i don't really know but <laughs> again it's generally better well, if you don't remember who the referees are that's usually a much better sign yes Fully, fully agreed. One thing that I found interesting in uh, listening to commentary about the final, they they were noting uh, the upper body strength of the the referee, the the head referee for that match, mm. and noting that apparently he played professional soccer for a while, and they were indicating that that generally makes for a better referee, as evidenced by, in particular, the one play where it looked like he was about to call another penalty against Argentina, but went the other way and called diving against Mm. France. And that that's the kind of thing to spot that and call that accurately that you could see from the replay, even though in the moment it actually did look like it went the other way, that that's the kind of thing that when you've played the game a lot more, which apparently it seems a lot of referees haven't as much. They went straight into officiating, I guess, um, that that gives him an edge. There is a point where young players sort of realize they're not going to make it, and so some of them officiating is a way to stay stay in touch with the game. Uh, hmm. You know, with obviously without playing it, you know, I, I'm sure he played. I, I think it's actually relatively rare for someone. I didn't see his his record in terms of where he had played. I think it is relatively rare to have played at a high level uh, before going into officiating, because mostly at that point you're, of course you spend so much time and effort, you know, training and practicing and preparing for to play 
and officiating is a very different kind of kind of thing to do um mm-hmm. but yes he was he was certainly not a man who he would who looked like he would want to mess with <laughs> definitely a physically right. imposing figure um I didn't. I don't remember. <laughs> well, about to say, I do remember a case where they. I thought there might be a penalty, and they called the dive. I recall watching the replay and thinking, nah, "That wasn't a dive, and maybe it should have been a penalty." But you know, yeah. there's everything. <laughs> again, we've talked about slow motion and how it. How it, it. We feel like it's accurate, but it can also distort. So. Right. So. Um... Tying up another loose thread, I feel like this uh, this segment of the show has become Keeper's Corner, where since I'm playing Keeper and haven't for a while, I'm kind of catching up and making sure that I'm not breaking any rules unintentionally. So we talked last week about goal kicks, and you told me that those are considered dead ball plays. You can punt it clear across the field or you know kick it at least uh, clear across the field. doesn't matter if someone from your team is offsides. It's a dead ball play, so it's okay. What I'm wondering is, what about after a save? So the keeper snags the ball midair, he drop kicks it to punt it across the field. At that point, does his team need to remain offsides? Remain onside? Yes. So the the offside yes. rule, the offside <laughs> rule is the or offside is not called or wouldn't be called. Those situations are called dead ball situations where the ball goes out of play, and so therefore the play stops and it has to be set somewhere. So a goal kick has to be set up. I Ideally, you would set the goal kick up on the corner of the six-yard box. Now, as you'll see, they play kind of fast and loose with that actual positioning. But mm. it is a dead ball that is, is restarted. Uh, you know, for, The ball is placed somewhere and then kicked. When it's a goal kick, the ball is still considered live. It is still very much in play. I, I, everything just tends to calm down because you're not going to do anything with it when it's in the keeper's hands. So you you wait for him mm-hmm. to, to punt it away. Although there was an instance, oh, was it? It was in I think one of Portugal's games. The keeper got lazy, had, rolled the ball on the ground. There was an attacking player behind him, ran in, uh, chased the ball away from him, and and very nearly scored what would have been an embarrassing tot game tying goal. Um, that was that was earlier in the group stage. It was Portugal that was involved in it. I forget who it was they were playing, <laughs> but uh, that was a. That was a fun little bit. Yeah, when the when the keeper has the ball, oh no, it was the it was Ghana in their opener. Um, yeah, Portugal won three two and nearly gave it up in the towards the very end. But yeah, it's a uh, when when the keeper has the ball, like that is a live ball. So that that in that case, the okay. So they need on. to follow the offsides rules. Though. Offside is on at that point. Okay, <laughs> offside is on. Okay, <laughs> all right, noted. Thank you. So. Um, the semifinal rounds were between Argentina and Croatia and then France and Morocco. Uh, anything that you wanted to share from that round? I don't really have many notes. Um, I, I watched both matches. They, they were both good. The teams didn't seem lopsided. It seemed like they were, uh, it was a good matchup on both sides. Yeah. I think the biggest thing, the, the biggest strength that both Croatia and Morocco bought th- brought throughout the tournament was their ability to play well defensively. Uh, yeah, Croatia took uh, two of their knockout stage games to penalties. It did really well defensively. Morocco, as we talked about, had, had only given up one goal through the quarterfinals and it was an own goal off their own defenders. So there were two teams that were defending particularly well. But I think the big difference there is that France and Argentina were able to jump on them quickly. They got they got relatively early goals. Uh, France scored in the in the fifth minute. Uh, Argentina got yeah. a penalty and scored <laughs> in the thirty fourth minute. 
And so at that point, you can't really play the same kind of defensive style because you're chasing the game. You need a goal. And and Mm -hmm. both Argentina and France, France in particular, but Argentina as well, are really comfortable and capable with the ball, which sort of diminishes your opportunities and can open you up. Uh, Basically, neither Morocco, certainly not Morocco and certainly not Croatia, really had the... uh, the kind of offensive firepower to keep up with those two teams. And w- with Argentina, they got the penalty, and then they got another goal five minutes later. So now you're 2-0 down, mm-hmm. you know, right before the half. That's just a – that was just going to be too much of a hill for, for the Croatians to climb. Uh, and then the same, same with right. Morocco. I, they, you know, they certainly were capable, but uh, that was a lot to ask of them. And then, what, you know, the, the later goal for France, make it 2-0, really, really salted that one away. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so with the semifinals behind us, we went to this past weekend, we were recording on Monday, December 19th. So the final happened yesterday on the 18th and the third place match happened on Saturday. And, uh, yeah, the, my, it was, it was fun. Like you, like you had mentioned the Croatia versus Morocco third place match. It was definitely, <laughs> definitely a little crazier, at least. I don't, I don't think it went full on nuts, but it was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. And, um, the, the one thing that I'd started noticing after now watching my second Morocco game, there were multiple times where on the field, something would happen and, and I could swear to myself that I was hearing the referee's whistle, but play would continue. Nothing stopped. So he clearly hadn't blown it. And it seems in hindsight, it was some, something in the audience, the fans were blowing some kind of whistle or using some kind of instrument or maybe finger whistling. I don't know what, but it was easily mistakable to me. Yep. Um, I, 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 I have to say, I didn't hear anything in particular that stood out in as, you know, as I'm sure you know, obviously, from the, the production or sound angle, there are times when you'll pick up these sort of ambient or, or background noises that, that sound really loud to you because they're positioned to whatever microphone's being used. But, you know, to the players on the field, they don't notice it. Obviously, it all sounds very different mm-hmm. for them. So it, who knows? Well, I mean, it's it, certainly it, more distant than an actual referee whistle nearby. Yeah, exactly. And I think obviously as you're playing like from a, from the distance and through the television, they, the, these whistles might sound similar. But when you're there in front of you, the referee's whistle is there's a particular piercing nature to it that they just they know what it is. They know what that one is. Uh, you you do see, and you, you we talked about this. You you had heard it a lot during Moroccan games, in particular. Again, sort of the fun fan angle of all of this is how you see sort of the different fan cultures and the different things that are acceptable uh, or what you know are considered customary for people to to bring or do or say uh, during during games or in the stands. You can look at. Uh, in 2010, the World Cup was played in South Africa, and the world got a a dose of something called the vuvuzela, which is hmm. which is basically a giant plastic horn. It is it's hmm. just a, a you and you probably you can probably picture this in your head. It's just a long sort of tube, but it's got a bell at one end, you know, and sort of almost sort of a hmm. mouthpiece bit at the other. And it's just a a horn, and you know, people blow into it. It makes a noise, but you, in South Africa. You know, they're very popular in African games where you have, you know, the entire stadium is playing them. And so if you watch high, you should check out highlights from the 2010 World Cup because you'll notice it immediately. 
in the background of of every game was this it sounded like a swarm of bees had descended on the stadium <laughs> it's just this constant hmm. humming buzzing and that was the vuvuzela you know 60,000 plastic horns all being blown constantly throughout the throughout the stadium which again because it was the first time the world cup was in africa and people were sort of getting an experience of what the 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 soccer culture in africa was like it's the first time you hear any of this and it's a little it takes a little getting used to much much in the same way i imagine watching the europeans sing is kind of different from an american perspective sure no that's true i noticed we didn't really talk about it but during the round of 16 when france and england played um i remember the tv the camera covered it showed one guy with a horn and I don't remember noticing it before, but after that, I heard this guy <laughs> playing on his trumpet throughout the whole rest of the game. He never stopped. Yep. And I think it was only just one guy, and it was just that instrument just carried because it was the only one. <laughs> yeah, and and what I mean, it's it's there are there are others. I know England typically has like a I, I can't really call them a band, like because the 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 impression we'll have is like a like a like a marching band at a football game. No, it's it's a bunch of dudes with with trumpets like it's not it's pretty low-key <laughs> uh but yeah you'll you'll hear them playing constantly although they, i've been a couple times to um the houston dynamo the mls team in, in houston and they have a small as i recall anyway had a small band that basically played well it was pretty much the same song they played but they played pretty much the entire game so hmm. uh, i was uh yeah you, you'll see that sort of thing around and and you know it, in different parts of the world so that's a yeah, that's yeah, but you're right. It's kind of the interesting thing. Once you see it, you, you can't not yeah. <laughs> hear it. Right. <laughs> so so I, I think especially since you said you didn't watch the third place match much, I think that uh we should probably get on to the final that we're both itching to talk about more because it was so entertaining, such a fun match. Um before we get into the meat of it, there's a couple things I wanted to talk about. Uh, one question I had is there was a play where on near the goal, it was like inside the penalty box, I think even, um, the ball had gotten poked away from, from the defender. And this was near the goal. And it looked like when it was poked away, the guy who ended up getting it was in an offside position, but offside didn't get called. And I just wanted to find out if I'm reading that correctly and why, what the rules are around that. So in that case, offside really only comes into play for a deliberate pass. So what I think you're referencing, okay. and I, I, I couldn't picture the exact play, but I'm, I'm thinking of the circumstance. What generally happened when the ball is knocked away from a, a, the, from a, a player like that, that's a, that's a tackle. And so in that case, the right. ball becomes just a loose ball uh, and, and then is picked up by a player who may well have been in an offside position, but because the ball was not played to him directly, it's not a pass. So it doesn't, mm -hmm. in that case, it doesn't count in, in that regard. So it's it, offside has to involve a pass like that. Okay. That makes sense. That, 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 agrees with what I'd seen. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, the other thing that I wanted to point out on a minor note regarding the finals. Uh, so offsides we're, we're talking about all the time because it's, I think as a, someone who's new to sports, like one of the things that takes the longest to wrap your head around. And I, I think I'm mostly there. I think I, I have now 
caught offsides plays before anyone <laughs> announces it on screen. Um, so I think I'm almost there. One thing that I appreciated, though, is we've talked before during Premier League matches how NBC will mark the lines across the field and use that to visualize where the ball was, when it was kicked, and where the furthest part of the um, offensive player to receive the pass that counts for offside. So the you know, shoulder or whatever it is um, where that is. And then where the last defender ends, that visualization is okay. But I was really amazed the one time that they showed a visualization of an offside call where it turned out the player was on sides. I was really impressed by this visualization where it was a 3d graphic, like a computer generated graphic. And they drew a virtual wall that, showed like the pinky of i don't remember it may have been messy i don't remember who it was but they showed the pinky protruding and that it connected to i don't know like the butt or something of the last defender and you can see if you know if you know what the rule is you can see that yeah the only part poking through that wall was a non-playing part so it was not off sides uh, but i thought that was a really effective visualization i'd like to see that more yeah, so so that really was, and yes, that was a particularly delightful delightful image uh, for for from the Arsenal perspective. If you're a reader of the uh, the Ars blog, one of the the premier Arsenal uh, fan sites out there, he he specifically points out that one and uh, rather really rather enjoyed <laughs> the fact that it was it was a defender's backside that was what let the play be on side <laughs> of all the things. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Obviously with the pinky. So yeah, offside only counts when it's a, a part of the body that can play, that could actually play the ball into the goal. So your hand could be, be in an offside position, but that doesn't count mm-hmm. because you can't touch the ball with your hands. Obviously what we see when we watch the premier league, that's not NBC. That's the league. That's what, that's what the referee oh, okay. is seeing in the, when he's going to the video, the VAR. Uh, so that's mm. what the that's the technology the Premier League uses. What they've been using in the World Cup, and they've had those graphics throughout the tournament. That's the automated offside that we were talking about. That's the visualization. Right, that that I was going to ask about that. Okay, right. And so I, I would be, I will be very curious because because four years ago was the la- was the first World Cup to use VAR, and generally speaking, the response was it went really well. People they liked the way it worked the premier league implemented it and people have been less enamored with how it works, which there's all kinds of reasons for that. I'm sure. But <laughs> I would be very curious to see how long it'll take before that offside though, or those, that version of offside uh, comes to, or <laughs> well, comes to, comes to at least the bigger leagues. I mean, obviously they were talking about the technology with the cameras involved, Obviously, some of that's going to be kind of expensive, and in, in some stadiums, in World Cup stadiums, it can be done because they're all so big uh, and have those general sizes. Some of these Premier League grounds are a little bit smaller; they they're not mm. they don't they're not that stadium design, that bowl that that you see with you know for these larger World Cup stadiums. And so, I'll be curious. I'm sure there's a way around that technologically, but it, it is one of those things where you have to have it in every stadium, or you don't have it at all. So that's coming someday. Yeah. Yeah, no, it would be overall. I mean, it didn't seem I didn't see any downsides to the semi automated offsides calls. It seemed like everything did go smoothly with it. So, 
I mean, it, I yeah, I mean, it's 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 clear, and it and it's it's a it's a call that's made clearly and quickly, which is really all you can hope for. And I mean, one of the chief complaints with the AR is it just how much time it takes for them to look at stuff. So you know, you can make right. the call; it's quick, and it, you know they have the visualization, and you may not agree with what it says, but I, that that's the, if that's the visual you have, because those we've talked about this. The drawing the lines is 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 imprecise at best. And they've actually deliberately mm-hmm. made it slightly more imprecise to avoid, you know, toenail offside, taking away a goal. They've, they've tried to get away from that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Speaking of VAR, I think it was in the final match where there was at least one, what appeared to me to be a clear <laughs> penalty that wasn't called that, I, and I think it was a penalty, not a foul, but it may have just been a foul. But it, there is at least one very clear incident that should have been caught by the VAR, but I guess that it, it wasn't considered. Well, what what's the guideline? Clear and obvious, I think. Clear right? and obvious. Well, that's that is officially the Premier League's guideline. I, I suspect it's. Oh, really, okay. I suspect that it's not terribly different, but obviously the the World Cup is governed by FIFA who has their own rules, which, you know, we talk about the laws of the game, but each league has some general stand, you know, a lot of rules for particular situations and that clear and obvious. I I know that's the premier league standard. I don't know. I I, honestly, I would, I'd be surprised if it really was different, but it's very well the, the premier, the, that FIFA for tournaments would have a, might have one that's worded slightly differently and thus changes what it is they're Mm -hmm. looking for. Um, it could be the the coverage had been using the term clear and obvious, so yeah, that's why that's, it was fresh in my mind. So yeah, and it could it could well be that is that is the terminology that they use, and I'm just getting that wrong. I I will fully fully cop to not knowing the the niceties of that, but I I, <laughs> I but I can say for some the clear and obvious is meant to be is 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 terminology the Premier League uses, right. So, yeah, so that, I mean, that's it for my notes and questions on the final. I mean, just overall, it was just, it was an amazing three hours of just, of soccer. It was uh, really, it was, it was just crazy the, the way that the game went, how if you'd only watched the first half, you would have assumed that Argentina ended up winning handily. Um, but then the, the substitutions that, France made clearly had an impact and they had an impact quickly and just changed the whole mood of the game. And then, yeah, they, they came back. It was, it was neck and neck once the corrections were made. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, Argentina came out and some of it was formation wise uh, in particular, uh, one of the players, uh, Usman Dembele, who was getting absolutely torched by Angel Di Maria uh, on that side of the field and particularly up leading up to the, I think it was the second goal. Uh, just he 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 had a really awful game. Uh, Dembele mm. did, and and Di Maria had an excellent game. He was playing very well uh, while he while he was on the field. Yeah, the, the subs helped. They solidified things. The French changed their formation, but by large, I, a lot of it was. You hate to be as simple as as hustle and effort, but I, Argentina was first to every ball. The the French were getting caught in their press. Were getting trapped. It's it's just it, yeah. Our, uh, France was second best, and they were second best well into the second half. Uh, really, it wasn't until about the uh, probably around the seventieth minute they really looked like the French were getting into the game a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then, 
you know, and then at that point, of course, they still, I think it was only in the 70th minute, they got their first shot. Like they, for a long time, they had no shots at all. And right. they got, they got one. That, yeah. They wound up getting the penalty. Mbappe puts it home. And then, you know, 90 seconds later, they get a break. They find Mbappe again. I'm just a, just a class finish from a class player. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and all of a sudden we're, we're off to the races. And at that point, what's interesting is at that point, a lot of times games can kind of lock down as everyone gets nervous. They both went for it. And they, it, we got right. some really good end-to-end action, too. At that point, it really, you know, the, the broadcaster was saying, game on. Yeah, it sure was, wasn't it? Right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, then they go into extra time, obviously tied. They each score during extra time, keeping it tied and going on the penalty shootout where I, I wasn't surprised that uh, what's the name about? You said it was uh, Emmy Ramirez or uh, Emmy Martinez. Yeah, Martinez, For, former Arsenal yeah, that, man. Uh, the f- right. Um you could tell how comfortable he was around penalty kicks even before the shootout. And uh, that's apparently a specialty of his blocking them. So. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a good shot stopper. And, and more to that is so much of shootouts is, is a very, is a mental game. It's, it's sort of that ability to put yourself in the moment or you know, to get in the other guy's head. Martinez does a lot to get in guys heads. There was a video floating around from last summer when, when he was with Argentina when they won the Copa America, the South American Championship, and they were in a penalty shootout. I want to say it was with Colombia, but they, they caught him clearly, like some of the things he was saying to the player, to the opposition players, they're coming <laughs> up, you're going to miss, I'm going to save your shot, you're going to go this way and I'm going to get it, and then he shot that way and he went and made the save. I mean, he's a, <laughs> he is a, he is a trash talker par excellence. If I may use the French, that's, in that that's interesting. You bring that up because yesterday when uh, France was getting ready to take their second or third shot, I think he had gone to hand the ball to the kicker, I think, mm-hmm. who denied the ball and went to get a different ball or something. Oh, um, yeah. That was an interesting head game. Yeah, I mean, it's because you're delaying, you're taking your time. It gives you an opportunity to walk in and say something. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. some, some of these guys, some of these guys are really superstitious and, you know, if the keeper's handing me the ball. Nope. I don't want that ball. I want a different ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they, I mean, it is, it is, they say the game within the game, the, 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 all the mind games they play. And, and in the end it, I mean, I, I, I can't sit here and say that it worked, so to speak, as in that's why he was able to make the save or why Chuamani right. missed, but it, but but he made the save and they missed and you know <laughs> Montiel slip, slips at home and that's it Argentina uh was in Andreas Cantor Argentina campeón campeón del mundo <laughs> yeah yeah no it was uh it was really exciting uh, who were you rooting for during that match um yeah that you know i got to be honest i'm not quite sure i i both of them were were good choices. Uh, I've I've always enjoyed watching the French team uh, when they when they play well. They're they're really an excellent side when they're playing well. I also find the 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 French to be a really fun team to watch when things are going poorly because they're a, the French completely hmm. disintegrate when they're when they're playing poorly. Which <laughs> I mean, there are some teams that when they're playing badly, they're just you just kind of roll your eyes and go, oh, just get off the field, stop trying. You're not even. You're not even trying. What are we doing here? Um, 
but but with France, it's a spectacular implosion. So they're always worth watching. But uh, it, it's hard not to get swept up into the romance of Messi and to to see him be able to to have seen his career for a while. I was talking to a friend who's she's a few years younger than I am, but basically to say like she remembers watching Messi coming up in high school and just he's been a guy he's been around. He's done so much, you know, to sort of cap off his career more or less by by winning the one trophy he had never won. Uh, was pretty special. So I think from my yeah. perspective, either way, it would have worked out. I didn't have any, it, or, you know, the other option was France becomes only the third team to win back-to-back world cups. And the first one to do so since uh, was uh, Brazil did it in 1962. So we're talking hmm. 60 years. So that's, you know, that would have been really cool as well. So in, in that sense, I, yeah. I, I just hope both. I just hope everyone had fun, <laughs> right? Because I sure did. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was funny as uh, as I was entering this match. I mean, I I found myself. I mean, for one thing, I think starting to follow Arsenal has kindled in me some anglophilia that was always there and I hadn't really acknowledged much overtly, <laughs> but I am now realizing was always there. And I, I have a feeling that anglophilia and francophilia are probably mutually exclusive. I don't know that you can really love one and the other simultaneously. Um, at least not if you're from England. I know they, they generally have a kind of rivalry between the two countries. Um but so aside from an an, a general low grade antagonism towards France, um, I guess I didn't start out as a fan of Messi. I, I had heard the name. I'd never seen him play. I didn't even really know too much of his reputation just from not being exposed to it. But by the time that Argentina beat Croatia, who I was rooting for Croatia during that semifinal round. Um, I really loved their their keeper really amazed me when um, when they played against Brazil and he did a great job and I love watching him play keeper. Um, so that was reason enough for me to root for Croatia and I, since I'd never seen Argentina before. But watching Messi play in that game, like he earned my respect. I could see just from the one match how skilled he was, how talented he was. Um, that was evident, and that was that was definitely another factor in in choosing Argentina for myself. But you know, it, it wasn't strong. Like I wouldn't have been extremely upset or anything if they hadn't won. But I, I was certainly glad that the side I had chosen they made it all the way. That was that was that was pretty cool. And they were uh, there. Yeah, there's something. There's something fun as as kind of a neutral is sort of being able, you know, not not even so much when your team is knocked out, but certainly there's a sense that of the big sides, you know, there's certain things that draw, you know, people to watching those, you know, especially with the sense, you know, I'm, I obviously I follow the U.S. and I I want them to win, I hope they'll win, but frankly for us, I for the U.S. if we had gone to the quarterfinals, that's probably I I don't see how we would have gotten past the quarterfinals, uh, sort of regardless right. of our draw. Whereas you're a team like France or Argentina, Brazil, England, you know, in in past years, Germany and Spain. When you walk into the World Cup, you expect to win it or you expect to be in a position to win it. And, you know, so when you get down to that, those those last rounds, there are certain countries 
that are that you can expect to be there and those are those are them and so the, the people find themselves drawn to those particular countries for all kinds of reasons it's always kind of interesting you mentioned you know family history and whatnot um you talked about you know obviously developing a taste for for the, for the english style watching watching the premier league although it's it's kind of funny, you know, because the U.S. of course played England. You get sort of both sides of that. Because on the one hand, certainly, you know, obviously we know a few of the England players, having seen them with Arsenal, and uh, you know, have have warm feelings about some of them. But also, then you have to deal with England fans who are great when you're talking about Arsenal. But once you start talking about England or talking about the U.S., well, then the conversation gets very different, and I don't like them so much anymore. So. <laughs> Well, when I'm talking about Anglophilia, it's it's not even necessarily from a soccer perspective. I mean, just like it was actually funny where these two things kind of collided. But I've been into British pop for for a long time, like aside from the Beatles, who, who are my favorite band, but not even specifically talking about them, just like pop groups from the 90s and, and like early 2000s. Um, I've been a big fan of them for a while. And one of them in particular, it's kind of funny, um, Atomic Kitten. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or any, heard any of their songs, but they have a song that they made an alternate version of, I don't know what year they did this, but it must've been a world cup year probably, but um, they made a new version of it for football saying football's coming home again oh yeah it's, like co it's coming home that that came yeah. that that song came from uh the european the 96 european championships were in england they hosted the tournament so mm. it, at first it becomes football's coming home that is the tournament is coming here to our home you know to to the home of the sport the english being who invented it mm -hmm. and they've in the last few uh, international cycles, uh, international tournaments, the English have sort of adopted it. It's the idea of of winning the cup, that is the World Cup is coming right. home, uh, which is funny because they've only ever won it once, uh, <laughs> as opposed to several other countries who have won it quite a few more times. But, uh, you know, it's it's a fun thing for them to sing. It's also a fun thing to make fun of when they when it is, in fact, not coming home. But Right. <laughs> So yeah, that was uh, it was funny. I just happened to notice that this was before the World Cup started. I noticed it like a couple months ago. Uh, saw it on Apple Music. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> this is not whole again. This is football's coming home again. Interesting. So yeah, but uh, I I think uh, I've said all that I care to say about the final. Uh, you have any closing thoughts? Uh, well, I, I guess I, I, I want to put it back to you again, not so much about the final, but as, as the World Cup in general, I, you know, this is your this is your first World Cup. And, and of course, you never really forget your first. So I just <laughs> the overall, I, you know, it's it's so totally different tournament tournament soccer is from from the league and the Premier League. So just just some I'm just curious how you're reacting just sort of in general to to the the month-long spectacle that was the World Cup? Well, yeah, so I I really wasn't sure what to expect going into it. I wanted to not become completely consumed by it, which led to my focus on just watching the U.S. matches until they were eliminated. But I did find the enjoyment from watching these matches where I wasn't as closely tied to one team or another. I did have more fun doing that. Um, I'm certainly going to watch the world cup the next time. 
And given that it's going to be in the United States, and I heard that New York is going to be one of the host cities, I will certainly do everything I can to see at least one match in person would be really great. Uh, yeah, uh, start, start, sa- start saving your money for that. But yeah, MetLife uh, down in the Meadowlands will host one. Uh, Houston is going to host a few, and I am I'm very much looking forward to getting my tickets to uh, Bolivia, South Korea, or whatever random countries get get thrown <laughs> to play their games here. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it is gonna be a lot of fun. I, I I always wind up every time I make this joke. Somehow Bolivia has become the country I've adopted as the team that's clearly coming here. I, I, they're probably never gonna qualify for the darn thing, but um, I get actually no. I know is it, it's uh, there's a, the Simpsons had an episode about the World Cup, and I think it they you know, the, they're trying to pump up the final. And I think Bolivia was one of the teams. I think it was either Portugal or Mexico. <laughs> uh, it was, was the matchup. And they were, the, the joke was it's two random countries that otherwise you, you would, as Americans, you would never really think much about, but you know, now of course they're tied to the sporting event and they matter so much. So, right. uh, you know, vamos la verde, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well i'll i'll take it upon myself to apologize to all of our bolivian listeners we, we mean no offense <laughs> no i'm serious if bolivia is in the if bolivia comes here yeah, i'll tell you what well well i would say i, I shouldn't <laughs> i can't offer to open my place up to people because i i do have some people who've already asked me to come down to houston <laughs> but no seriously i will i will keep there that's my now promise i will keep an eye on bolivia and root for them to be in the world I've, i have i have no bra- i've never met a person from bolivia i'm sure they're quite nice but uh <laughs> but yeah so you know next time around i i i think the biggest thing that i would do differently is do everything i can to follow what's going on more broadly in the tournament and at the earlier stages too maybe that means watching highlights of games that i i can't commit to watching the entirety of or something maybe who knows who knows how different my, my life will be it's four years from now maybe i'll be at leisure to watch the entire world cup watch all of every match that'd, that'd be something it, but, it'll uh, help it'll also help though that in in four years time the world cup will be in the summer when it's supposed to be so it's 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 right this is this this whole winter world cup or the you know everything being around the holiday season has been kind of a fascinating sort of thing i i, I don't like it but that's because it's change and I'm frightened of change. So <laughs> as are we all to some degree. Uh, yeah. So yeah, no, it's uh but no, it's, it was, it was fun. I'm, uh, I'm anticipating, I guess it's not even, it's not even four years this time. It's three and a half years. I suppose. Yeah, was. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, um, a couple questions that I wanted to ask you about that, uh, kind of, bubbled up to the top of my list uh, this week. So so for one thing, um, why is it that the World Cup actually features national teams instead of pitting clubs against each other? I mean, it would certainly lead to a very different kind of tournament. And I'm just wondering if you could lend any insight as to why that decision was made. Well, so the, the, the World Cup, the first World Cup is in 1930. And really, interna- the international game develops really parallel to the club game club games traditionally club teams are very domestically focused uh so the first world cup is in 1930 between international teams the first uh the european cup which later becomes the champions league isn't contested until 1950 so it's about 20 years later Mm. so the world cup's in front of Mm. it and for the longest time players didn't really go outside of their national leagues like that wasn't you, you, you didn't see a lot of that 
And so for the longest time, the World Cup was in, almost in some ways an all-star tournament. It, it's kind of, it might be an interesting way to think about it. Uh, and, and you'll hear this a lot from Europeans, especially older journalists who remember as kids watching, say, the World Cup in the 70s or the 80s. You know, the, like you, did, you never saw the best, best Brazilian players. You heard about them. You knew about them. But then you saw them, and and especially they'll talk about you know nineteen seeing Brazil nineteen seventy and the bright yellow shirts and the the you know, first time it was in color TV and you know, mm-hmm. the excitement of getting to watch these players that you, you know you never saw them you never saw the best you know unless your team was in the European Cup which so few teams were you never you never really watched Real Madrid you you would never have watched. Um, you know, some of these countries and some of these players. And so the World Cup was your real opportunity to see them. And, and that's actually changed a lot more because so many, as, especially the biggest leagues, have become so much more multinational, uh, reaching out to different parts of the world, bringing these players in. So, you know, the best Brazilian players, we've all seen them because they all play in Brit- in England, Spain, Germany, for, you know, Italy. Um the top players all play in these leagues. And so it, it's, it's interesting now that the club game is very clearly, and you, you, I saw ads running, running through this, uh, you know, the promoting the champions league, um, mm-hmm. you know, as, as sort of, Oh, you enjoyed the world cup. Well, what if you had all of the best players, you know, again, and that's basically the champions league plus all these players who right. didn't even make the world cup because their countries aren't very good, but it, they're awesome. So now you can watch them. Uh, players like Erling Holland. <laughs> mm. So yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. yeah so uh, the the club game, and we as we talked about, you know, the ability to practice and all those things. You know, that's really, you know, the the club game is really in some ways surpassed the international game. But there is something, and like I remember watching in the semifinal, they they do the national anthems, and you saw the way you saw the Moroccan players belting out the anthem. You know, and there there are some of those guys, um, you know, some of the French players, uh, you know, the the uh, you know, famously uh, Gareth Bale, the the Welsh player. You know, he the, I mean Bale's a good player, but there's always accusations when he's at Real Madrid that he wasn't really trying hard, didn't really care. When he plays for Wales, it matters to him. And you know, it's these mm-hmm. these guys, their countries matter to them. That the play for the national team is is about pride in a kind of way that your club almost can't be I, you know especially if you you know mm-hmm. it's one thing if you're you know a native and you grew up rooting for this team i mean you know if you're a a kid from north london and you get to the academy and you spend your whole life around arsenal and to put on the red and white shirt it's just a is a tremendous thing but for most guys that that won't happen they'll bounce around to clubs mm-hmm. or different stuff but you know you you in spite of the idea of people you know work you know "Quote unquote," changing their nationality or declaring for certain countries, you only get one country, right? So that there's there is something different about about that and the kind of tournament it creates. Uh, so I, I, there are people who are club fans who don't like the World Cup or international tournaments because it's drawing players away from what they care about. Um, that's where players get hurt. You know, certainly, obviously, with we, with Arsenal, we know that because, of course, uh, Gabby Jesus, mm-hmm. but. I mean, I, I, you know, as someone who started by watching international soccer, I still love the World Cup. I still love the international game. And, you know, they're, they're just different. The club and the national sides are just different. And it's it's fun. It's just part of what makes the sport, you know, unique. You, you really don't get the same kind of right. international, heavy international tournaments 
really, I, I, certainly not any major sport I follow. Um, I'm sure there are some others. People can point to other things that I don't track, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, it's. Well, I guess, yeah, and, and everything you're saying makes sense, and, and I see how they got there now. I guess to me, what would be appealing about doing it a different way would be imagine the best MLS team pairing off against the best premier league team, right. Or, you know, and, and MLS probably wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't even necessarily be in contention, but you know, like the, the different leagues, and I guess that's really what the champions league is. So I, so maybe that's, there's no additional need so, for yeah. that. Because well, so, it's being so served. well, so we, there is such a thing as the club world cup, which is an hmm. annual tournament that's held. Typically it's held right around this time of year, uh, but will be in this case will be pushed. I think they just saw the next one is supposed to be in February. Yeah, February. And it will include the champions of the six uh continental confederations of their Champions League or Champions League equivalent. So uh Real Madrid won last year's Champions League. They'll play in it for Europe. Uh Seattle Sounders out of MLS won it, the, the CONCACAF champions league. And so they'll represent, they'll be, they're not, I don't think that the, they're not the first American team to go to this tournament, but they're the first one in a long while, at least. Hmm. Um, and they've had this tournament for a while. It's hard to tell how seriously some of these teams take it. It's almost always won by a team from South America or Europe. Uh, but starting in 2025, uh, the club FIFA will be expanding the club World Cup, and apparently the proposal is going to involve uh, 32 teams, and it will look like the World Cup and would take place in the summer, only would involve clubs. How that's going to work, uh, you know, FIFA has this habit of announcing a grand plan and just figure, just saying, we'll work out the details later. So what this will actually <laughs> look like in practice would be an, it will be an interesting thing, but yes, apparently the giant... Uh, Club World Cup is coming. Hmm. So, right. so what you're so what you're expecting, in fact, will come to pass, possibly, hmm. maybe, allegedly. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, that'll be something to say. So, if I may, I have a few questions uh, in about soccer and Premier League stuff in general that are hopefully pretty quick to answer. Sure. Um, so. When Arsenal returns, we're going to be playing West Ham. Ever since I first saw that team's name, I've been wondering, is ham short for something or is it just ham like the meat? Nope, it is ham. Uh, West Ham is an area of London. Actually, it's in East London because that's not confusing enough. Uh, but West Ham is just a, <laughs> a a section of the city of London and they are West Ham United. And that's, that is their name. It is not short for anything else. I you know it's I think right. it's one of those ham if you go way back into you know the the early Middle Ages and the the you know old versions of English or Middle English so it's it'll be spelled differently and references something else you know in a version of the mm -hmm. word that we never use anymore but y yes the the name of the area is West Ham it is not short for anything that's it okay all right and then I think I mostly understand what the different lines on the field mean. And I, I will relay my understanding and ask for clarification and accept any corrections <laughs> that you can offer. But I just wanted to make sure that I fully understand it. So the 18-yard box is the penalty box, which we've discussed. And the rules surrounding that box. So first of all, it seems like 18 yards is the width of the box as it goes for across the field and 
within that box, if a foul occurs, it's a penalty. And it's only within that box that the keeper can use his hands. Is that correct for the 18-yard box? Yes. Okay. And so then inside the 18-yard box, you have a six-yard box that's closer to the goal. It's narrower. Is there any significance to it, or is it just as kind of like a reference point that it's there? Uh, the six-yard box is is meant to be where the to show where a goal kick can be taken from. That apparently ah, is the purpose like of Like you existence. mentioned earlier, okay. Yeah, that apparently is its existence. Okay, interesting. So then at the top of the 18-yard box, there's a semicircle. What's, what's the deal with that? So if you'll notice, when, when a penalty is taken, everyone is outside the box because the only players that are allowed in the box on a penalty are the shooter and the keeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the idea is, of course, everyone is going to be arraigned on the edge because as soon as the ball is kicked, it's live and everybody will rush in and try to, you know, follow up what happens. The, the little semicircle you see there is to basically make sure that the, you can't be all that much closer to the, to the shooter. Uh, it, it keeps you a certain distance. So it keeps you a particular distance away from him, basically so that you're not closer okay. just because you're right there at the top of the box. Yeah, it makes that makes sense. Okay. And the circle at the center of the field, does that have to do with uh, the opening? Uh, I don't even know what you call the opening play. Is that a kickoff? But kickoff. Is, it, is it used for that? Yeah, so the, the circle, at, at least I know this is true, the circle, there might be another purpose to it, but it, it, the circle is also... Uh, the defensive team cannot get any closer to the kickoff. So the kickoff happens at center, the center circle. And you'll notice, you'll see guys, you won't see any of the opposing players uh, be any closer than the circle because that's, that's as close okay. as they're allowed to be. Right. And so it'll work. Okay. Both ways. It seemed like that's it was good. something like that. Yeah. That's uh, there okay. may be another purpose to it, but that's the only, that's the one I know of. Okay. And then as far as the dimensions of the field, so I, I, I was paying attention during the last couple of matches and knowing that it's a six yard box and an 18 yard box. It's and actually when I was saying it was the width, I think what I meant was the distance from the goal, like the 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 edge that's parallel to the goal line is either six yards away or 18 yards away. Right. I believe that's the case. Yeah. So I, it seemed like that. And you could tell the way that they mow the grass with the alternating line patterns. It seemed like each section that you could see from the vantage point of the camera showing the match was six yards across. So you could see that it lined up with the edge of each of those boxes. And counting how many of those were across the field, it looked to me like the field is 120 yards long. And I was wondering how that compares to American football. I know that the play area is 100 yards from end to end. But when you include the end zones, does that make it the same size, do you know? Yes. So the, the this is from FIFA. A, a, a regulation soccer field, actually, there's a range of sizes that are acceptable. The largest being... Mm-hmm. Um, any, or it can be anywhere from 110 to 120 yards long and 220 feet. Oh, I'm sorry. I was reading something wrong. Uh, no, sorry. 110 to 120 yards long and 70 to 80 yards wide. Hmm. So theoretically, you're in some version or some range within those ranges 
uh, for the, the, the length and the width. The, uh, according to FIFA, yeah. the optimum field is 120 by 75. But again, it, everywhere, everywhere you go is going to be a little different. Uh, stadiums are also right. going to be different sizes on that score. Uh, in terms of how it compares to an American football field, uh, they are, it is 100 yards plus each end zone is 10 yards deep. Okay. So, yeah, so a, a 120 yards would be back of the end zone to back of the end zone. And there are some soccer stadiums. You won't see them as much anymore, certainly in MLS, because they've, for the most part, gotten away from uh, using football stadiums. So a couple of them still do. Um, New England, you'll be able to see, especially once you get to the fall and it's as it's like Patriots preseason. But if you watch the New England Revolution, who play in, in Gillette Stadium where the Patriots play, uh, you, you'll see the football field lines and you can see where things are placed relative to those lines as well. Right. Okay. Well, that just about wraps it up, I think, for this week. Uh, do you want to tell us what's coming up for next week? Sure. Uh, we are back. Well, I should say Arsenal is back. We we haven't left anywhere, but Arsenal <laughs> is back. Uh, the Premier League is back. And it's. I feel that, first of all, I should just remind everyone that uh, we're top of the league, in case you forgot. <laughs> um, should have been our tagline for the last couple of weeks. But anyway, yes, Arsenal, top of the table, Arsenal. <laughs> Uh, is back. The league is back. Uh, traditionally, the Premier League has a full slate of games on what is called Boxing Day, which uh, for us Americans uh, is the day after Christmas. It's a, That's part of the Christmas holiday uh, in other parts of the English-speaking world. Uh, and Traditionally, the Premier League will play a full slate of games. Arsenal will be back in action against West Ham United, which I'm sure is why you were thinking about them before. Right. That's why I wanted um, yes, to get that question out of the way. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we we will be back on Boxing Day on Monday uh, next Monday, uh, which is crazy that we're a week away from Christmas. But yes, we will be back uh, against West Ham, and then a, a tight list of games uh, they play. I, I know New Year's, I believe, on New Year's Eve, and then on January third, they end up playing something like four games in two weeks, uh, which will be good practice for later in the year. Because buckle in, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a bumpy ride to May. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you want to listen the night we record, you can become a Gooner U Superfan on Apple Podcasts to download a raw, unedited recording right away. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches once again. Have a good one, Keith. You too, buddy.